After darkness, light. After darkness, light. That was the theme of the Protestant Reformation in 1517. After darkness, light. And that theme and that moment literally changed the world. After darkness, light. I want to give you a little simplified, perhaps crude, perhaps overly simplistic church history lesson uh, so we can have some understanding this morning. So Jesus uh, gave the commission of the church to his disciples. He ascended into heaven. And from that point on, the church grew and it was known as the early church. And from that point on, roughly about 30 AD, the church grew all the way uh, and stayed in that state until about 1054 AD. In 1054 AD, there was what was known as the Great Schism, where the church that started with Jesus' ascension split into two. And you had the Greek Orthodox Church in the Eastern known world of Europe, and you had the Roman Catholic Church in the Western known world. And then it stayed like that for another 400 years. But over the course of that 400 years, the church began to drift. The church began to let go of the things that Jesus taught and pick up extra things. And before long, the extra things they picked up had more value in the church than the things that Jesus taught. And it left the church in a dark place. There was great darkness. And then God raised up people to help correct the darkness. And the reason there was great darkness was because the people of God in the church at that time did not have God's word in a language they could understand. They did not have the Bible. The Bible was reserved for those who were in clergy and the lay people did not have a copy of the scriptures. And so when people saw this darkness and they saw the church drifting and they saw the church prone as it is to wander away, there's a certain group of people that God put his hand upon who said, we're going to change this. People like Jane Gray, people like John Huss and others who said, we want to take the Bible and put it in the language that people could understand so the church would stay in the light. And when they did that, the church came back to the light. And that's what we celebrate in the Reformation in church history. After darkness, light. The Reformation, this returning back, wasn't a fad. It wasn't a trend. It was a rediscovery. It was a returning back to what Christ wanted us to carry. We are in a series where we're talking about this called The Glorious Gospel. And the reason for this series is we want to see clearly what the gospel is. And we want to highlight our heritage and thank God for the way he moved throughout history. And coming out of the Reformation, the Reformers named five things that they said were crucial to the gospel. And they have Latin names. We call them the five solas. Sola Scriptura. That it's the Bible has the highest authority alone, nothing else, not church councils, not popes, not pastors, not leaders. Sola fide, the only reason that we are saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, not our works and the things that we bring to the table. Sola gratia, what we looked at last week, that it's grace that empowers that, not our earning or our striving. And today we're going to look at sola 
Christus, not church systems, but Christ alone is what saves us. Christ alone is what saves us, not any religious system. Christ alone is so counterintuitive because we as human beings seeking God want to make it harder than what it really is. We have this propensity in us to add to Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that we're saved, yeah, but we have to do this and we have to do this and we have to do this. And what we're going to discover is that from the time of Jesus to today, there's a common thread that runs through sinful humanity, and it's this, that there is something about the human soul seeking God that always wants to add to the gift of Jesus Christ versus just receiving and resting in Jesus. Throughout time, when the human soul wants to seek God, since Christ, they want to add to it. They want to say it can't be that easy. We are addicted to Jesus plus in terms of our salvation. And this clarion call that the reformers gave us of Christ alone brings us back into focus. There's something in us that wars against the simplicity of the gospel message. There's something inside all of us that says, it can't be that easy to get into heaven. Just receive and believe in Christ? Yes, it's that. Why is this all that important? Why bring all this up? The Reformation clarifies the gospel. And we live in a time where there's confusion about the gospel. And truth about the gospel is attacked on all different sides. And it's, we have to be crystal clear about what the gospel is. And the mission of Crossview Church is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we're going to do that well, then we have to tell people about the false teachings out there that pull you away from that mission, that pull you away from a growing relationship with Jesus. In the Reformation, the church pulled away from the false doctrines that were taking it away. And part of those doctrines still exist today in the Roman Catholic Church. And I just want to say right in the beginning that I love my family members in the Roman Catholic Church. I love my friends in the Roman Catholic Church. And at the same time, I kindly, graciously, but vehemently disagree with some doctrines in the Roman Catholic Church because I just don't see them in Scripture. And if I'm going to be faithful to teach you as your pastor what's in this book, I have to say that. I have to call out teachings that are contrary to the gospel. If you're going to live in a growing relationship with Jesus that's true and real, I have to call that out. I promised God when he called me that by his grace and his power and his strength, I would teach this book. And sometimes part of teaching this book means we have to talk about things that are in our world that are contrary to this book. And that's why we need to talk about this. So Dan, are you saying a Roman Catholic person will never get to heaven? No, I'm not saying that at all. 
I believe that a Catholic, an evangelical, a Lutheran, a Muslim can get to heaven if they trust in Jesus Christ alone. They have to work through a lot of the falsehoods in their religious systems, but the truth is the way we get to heaven is we trust in Christ alone and what he did. That means we come before him and we repent. We turn from our wicked ways and we turn to God. And we say, God, forgive me for my sins. I want to follow you. And then we believe. And it's not just an intellectual belief. It's a believing with our whole life. And the Bible says when we repent and believe, we are saved. At that point, the Holy Spirit enters into our life. And it's at that point, based on what Jesus did on the cross, that a person gets to heaven. And it's only through the work of Jesus. We can't add anything to that. That's the gospel. And anybody who does that is saved. But we have to talk this through. Because here's the deal. This isn't just, the things we talk about today isn't, aren't just little minor things. The things we're going to talk about today deal with the eternal state of a human's soul. What happens to a soul when they die and this life is over? And when we talk about that and we talk about things as weighty as eternity, we, as the church of Jesus Christ, have to be crystal clear. And the most unloving thing we can do, the most unloving thing I can do as a pastor is see something in here that tells how you will get access to heaven and not tell you about it. And the most unloving thing I can do as a pastor is when there's a false teaching that's confusing that, is to blow that off and not bring clarity and say, no, this is what the Bible says. And so that's why we're in this series. That's why we're doing this. Because the eternal state of souls is on the line. And we're going to look now at all sorts of human systems that human beings set up. And it's going to hit all of us. It's going to hit people that followed Jesus in the early day. It's going to hit uh, the Jewish people who are new to the church. It's going to hit Roman Catholic people in the Reformation. It's going to hit mainline denominations. And it's going to hit evangelicals because we all set up our systems and make it harder. Why? Because there's something about the human soul seeking God that always wants to add to the gift of Christ Jesus versus just receiving and resting in Jesus alone. So let's take a look at religious system making throughout church history. And the first one I want to look at is Peter, James, and John. There was a moment when Jesus was walking with his closest followers, Peter, James, and John. He said, hey, I want to take you and I want to show you something. And his goal to do this was to give them a taste of his glory, that they would be set in their heart, that as Jesus alone is king, that Jesus alone is the one to follow. And so he took them up on this hill. It's called the Transfiguration. Some of you are familiar with this story. And he went on this hill, and as he is on this hill, he wanted to sear into their minds and hearts forever who he was, that they wouldn't wander from the truth. And as he was there, a bright light shone, and a cloud descended, and all of a sudden, Moses appeared on his right and Elijah on his left. And there was Jesus in the middle. And there was this voice from heaven that was Father God saying, This is my beloved son, Jesus.
Listen to him. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, it was just Jesus. But in the middle of this amazing moment that God was displaying to get a set that it's Jesus and he alone and there's no one else, in the middle of this moment, this is what the Apostle Peter said. He said, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's do something. Let's add to this. There was already in the heart of human beings this thing that says we have to create something that is more complex than just beholding the beauty of Jesus Christ alone. We saw it right there in the early days. Fast forward 50 years of church history. And there's a group of people called the Judaizers. The Apostle Paul would plant churches with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then these Judaizers would come and they would say lies to people. They would say, you know, it's not just following Jesus and being with Jesus. You have to do that. But you also have to add some Jewish practices to it. You also have to add circumcision. You also have to add some food laws. It's not purely just Jesus alone. you got to add some things. And Paul had horrible, crushing words to punish that doctrine. He was strong in what he said. He wrote a whole book in the Bible called Galatians to counter what these Judaizers were saying, and he used strong language. He talked about them in Philippians, which we're going to look at in a second. And this is how he opens when he talks about these Judaizers that are pulling people away from Jesus alone. He says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. We are the ones whom worship by the Spirit of God and boast in Jesus Christ alone and do not put any confidence in the flesh. He's saying, we are the ones that say when it comes to getting into heaven, when it comes to being saved from our sin, it's not about what we bring to the table and our accomplishments and all the great things we do. It's about Jesus and what he did and that alone. That's what Paul's saying, trying to bring back the drifting church that likes to add to the system. Fast forward 1,400 years to the church before the Reformation. There was darkness because they drifted, and they developed two key systems. And there was a man named Martin Luther who, in 1517, went to the door of his local church, and he nailed what was known as the 95 Theses on this door. And what he was doing at that moment was he's saying, I want to have a discussion. Many people nailed things to the door of the church. That was what you did when you want to discuss a point of doctrine. And he had 95 things that he nailed on the door. I had the privilege of going to Germany in 2013 and seeing the church where he did that. This is a picture from that church. The original door burned down. This is a, a door they replaced it with. But he went there, and his goal in doing that wasn't to start this thing called the Reformation. His goal was to say, hey, we need to have a discussion because I sense this church is drifting. And he said, there's two systems you are following instead of Jesus alone. The one system was about indulgences, where people would pay money to spring out of purgatory their loved ones. The indulgence system in purgatory is a false system. We don't see it in Scripture. 
It was a false doctrine, and Martin Luther was bringing that to light. But there was a bigger doctrine at the time that he wanted to address. And it was called the treasury of merit. The treasury of merit. And I want to talk about it because I think when it comes to this topic of Christ alone, this was the main system that the reformers were coming against, this treasury of merit. There's a thing called original sin that all theologians believe in, regardless of denomination, if you're a gospel-following Christian or if you're even Christian uh, in the broader sense. Original sin is the fact that Adam and Eve in the garden, when they rebelled against God, that sin they committed affected all of humanity. We are infected and affected by the original sin that Adam and Eve did in the garden. That's why you don't have to teach a human being how to sin. If you say to your young kids, don't touch that, what are they going to do? They're going to go touch that. That's original sin. There's this nature inside of us that pulls us towards sin. In the Roman Catholic doctrine, baptism saved people from original sin. We as evangelicals believe the cross of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, original sin, and the sins that we commit. In the Roman Catholic Church, it was baptism that saved you for original sin. But what about the sins that happened after that? And in the 1500s, the church developed this system called the treasury of merit that handles those other sins. And what the treasury of merit says is that original sin is covered But then you have these other sins that are out there. And the way to get rid of these other sins is to get certain graces that cover those sins. And the way you get those graces to cover those sins is you need a system where your graces cover the sins. But the problem is you don't have a lot of graces. You need more grace than you have to cover your sins. You need more merits than demerits. And common ordinary people like you and I have a lot of sin and few graces. And in Roman Catholic doctrine, that puts us in a really strange and difficult place. But every now and then, there's extraordinary people called saints that live and they have more grace than they do sins. And the grace covers them so that they can get to heaven, but then they have extra grace. And those extra, that extra grace isn't wasted away, according to this doctrine. It's placed in a treasure chest at the feet of Mary in heaven. It's called the treasury of merit. And at that treasure chest, she will dispense graces to people who need it based upon what they do in the church. The church holds the keys to the treasure test. And if you do more good than bad, then you have access to some of the graces that are in the treasure chest. See, that was the system that was set up at the time that Martin Luther is saying, we have to have a discussion about this because I don't see that in the Bible. And he wrote in the thesis number 62 of the 95 thesis, the true treasure, and he was speaking specifically into this system, The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying it was about Jesus and Jesus alone, not this system of merits. It's about Jesus Christ. 
And he countered what was being taught. And why did they teach it? Because as human beings, we are prone to make it harder. Because we want to add to this precious thing called Jesus alone. And so it continues. In mainline Protestant denominations, you have baptism, you have catechism, then you have the list of do's and don'ts. Is Jesus plus following baptism? Is Jesus plus catechism? Is Jesus plus these specific do's and don'ts that they customize and lay out? And they drift away from the original call of Jesus saying, come to me and I will give you life. And before we get on our high horse, guess what? Evangelicals have systems too. We develop all sorts of systems that cloud our judgment away from Jesus alone. One of them that we like to use a lot that comes from our past is to pray the prayer. All you have to do to get into heaven is pray this prayer called the sinner's prayer and you're automatically into heaven. You could pray that prayer and live like the devil. It doesn't matter. But if you prayed the prayer, you'll get into heaven. That's a system. Praying a prayer to invite Christ into your life is a good thing. But that's just the beginning. And the prayer has to be backed by the decision to follow Christ, by the decision to repent and turn from your sins and believe It's not just pray this prayer, then live however you want, and you got this fire insurance to get you out of hell and get you into heaven. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Coupled with that, we have another system we like to talk about in the evangelical church. And I get really, really nervous when people come to me and say, Pastor Dan, do you believe once saved, always saved? And let me explain that. Because I do believe And the doctrine of eternal security meaning that once you repent, once you believe, once you give your life to Jesus Christ, that cannot be taken away from you. I agree with that. But when people come up to me and say, do you believe once saved, always saved, what they're usually always asking me is, can I just pray this prayer and do whatever I want and make sure I go to heaven? And that is not what following Jesus is. You're not being saved if all you do is say this prayer under compulsion with no meaning in your heart to follow Christ. To be saved, you have to want to follow Jesus and you do that by the Bible says to repent, to turn from your sin, turn to him and believe who he is and live your life that follows him. Jesus alone is what saves us. No yeah buts. Yeah, but what about holiness? What about obedience? Well, yes, we're called to obedience. Yes, we're called to live holy lives, but that happens after we're saved. Once we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us, then we live a life of holiness. We can't live a life of holiness apart from coming to him, having him make us new and give us the Holy Spirit. We can't live, do holy acts to try to earn our way into heaven. That's not the gospel. It's Jesus alone who comes into our hearts, who makes us new, who forgives us our sins and then transforms us. And from that point on, we live holy lives because of what he did. That's where it comes into play. Living obedience after Christ is not a system. That's the Bible. But we don't add to Jesus' saving work by doing works to get us there. And we all have our own list of do's and don'ts that we throw on to make it harder. And one of my fears is I see the new passions in the evangelical church today. Good things 
like addressing things in our world with gospel power. Yes, we need to do that, but don't add to salvation. Don't make it Jesus plus. Stay in Christ alone. And why is this important? Because there's something about the human soul seeking God that always wants to add to the gift of Jesus Christ versus just receiving and resting in Jesus. And because of that, some of the best built religious systems have been set up. But praise God, there are moments where the Holy Spirit breaks in and the Holy Spirit brings the truth and says, this is how you are uh, set up to get into heaven is through Jesus Christ alone. And one of those moments happened in this window. This was in Martin Luther's house, and it's kind of hard to see. It's a window because it's been covered up by brick and mortar. But this archway was a window. And Martin Luther was sitting in that window, and he's looking out as a field, and he was reading Romans. And the Holy Spirit, he said, met him in that window and changed his life forever because this is what he was reading. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. All human beings can approach God on the same level. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written. And this is, these are the words that changed Martin Luther's heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. The righteous will live by faith. What he's saying there is that Christians who are declared righteous get that way and live that way by trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross, not their own abilities to work and make it happen. They trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, paying for their sin and setting them free. That's how the righteous, that's how people following Jesus live. When you become a Christian, you're giving a righteousness that gets you into heaven. And that's why we have to be so clear about this. Because when it comes to the end of your life, you need to know how to get in. And you can't get into heaven but hoping your good outweighs your bad. That's a false doctrine. You get into heaven one way and one way alone, and that's by Jesus Christ. You get to heaven because of the blood of Jesus and who he is and what he did on the cross. Nothing else. Nothing else. You are given a righteousness that comes through what Jesus did on the cross that covers you head to toe. And when you say, God, I repent and I believe and you are made new, this righteousness comes over you. And Luther said when that tower, when he read that, this is what opened up his eyes. He discovered the gospel. He discovered truth. He discovered what was hidden. He discovered light in the darkness. The only way we are saved is not through systems. We are saved through Christ alone because in Christ alone, because of the cross, his righteousness is applied to me and I stand before God perfect in his righteousness, not my own. You see, to get into heaven, you have to be perfect. It's the only way you get in is to be perfect. The problem is none of us are perfect. Not one single one of us, the Bible says, is perfect. But that doesn't change it. The only way you get into heaven is to be perfect. You need a perfection outside yourself. 
You need a perfection that comes from the person of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So he goes to the cross, he pays for your sins, he dies for you, and now he gives you as an offer his righteousness that makes you perfect as you are placed in Christ. 500 years ago, they struggled with that. And guess what? We struggle with it just as much today. Paul knew this very well. If you have a Bible, I'm going to close by having you open to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to see what the Apostle Paul says. Philippians chapter 3, I read for you already, verses 2 and 3. And so we're going to pick up on verse 4. And I want you to understand what Paul is saying in these verses is that human accomplishment, which I could say as Apostle Paul I have a lot of, will never ever save me in its own strength. I, even the Apostle, with all these things I've done, need Jesus Christ and Him alone. Philippians chapter 3, let's begin with verse 4. He opens, let me just say, in the first few verses, talking about those dogs, those Judaizers I told you about, who are saying, it's Jesus plus this. And then he says this, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, meaning they set up this system, and even the system they set up, I could fulfill that system better than they can. That's what Paul's saying. If it was about the system, I would be number one. And he explains why. I have these reasons. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, meaning that the flesh and your works get you to heaven more than Jesus, he says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, those who didn't agree with Jewish law, regarding the righteousness that is in law, blameless. He was saying, if you want to mix Jewish system to get you to heaven, I was your poster child. I did it better than all of you. But look at verse 7. But everything, all that stuff, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered a loss because of Christ, because Jesus Christ is so much greater than all the systems. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith, by trusting in Him, not my own stuff. Paul's point here is instead of living and trusting and boasting in human accomplishments to try to earn salvation, a child of God should live, trust, and glory in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Nothing else. And look at what he says in verse 8. Because of him, Christ, I have suffered and lost all things. All these accomplishments, these religious accomplishments that these Judaizers say get me into heaven, I've lost all that, and I consider them as dung, as being kind. The original Greek is a word called skubala. That's the real word. We stepped in some skubala outside. It's dung, but it's bad. He cusses here. He says the worst word for dung in the Greek language. 
And he says that so strongly because he wants to say, all that religious system accomplishment that you think is great, let me tell you what it is compared to the glorious work in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's as low as low can be. You want to try to add something to your salvation? You want to try to add something to your entrance into heaven? It's as low as it can be compared to the glorious work and what Jesus did on the cross. There's only one way, church. It's through Jesus. So how does that work? Jesus' righteousness when you're a Christian is applied to your life so that you stand before God not in your own goodness, not in your own merits, not in your own efforts. You stand before God in Christ alone. And you must stand before God in the goodness of Jesus alone, not in your own strengths. So how do we guard from making all these religious systems? We pursue Jesus Christ and Him alone. Pursue Jesus. Allow Scripture, our highest authority and guide, to lead us into the person of Christ. There's a pastor and author many of you know named Max Lucado who wrote this as an example. He wrote, I make no claim to being a good golfer, but I love to play golf, I love to watch golf, and on good nights I even dream golf. So when I was invited to attend the Masters Golf Tournament, I was absolutely thrilled. A pass to the Masters is the golfer's holy grail. Mine came via a pro golfer named Scott Simpson who invited me there. Off we went to Augusta National Country Club in Georgia where golf heritage hangs like moss from the trees. I was a kid in a candy store. It wasn't enough to see the course and walk the grounds. I wanted to see the locker room where the golf clubs of Ben Hogan and Arnold Palmer and Paul Eisinger were displayed. So I started walking towards the locker room and a guard stopped me at the entrance and they wouldn't let me in. I showed him my pass, but he shook his head and said, you're not coming in. I told him I know Scott Simpson. He said, I don't care, you're not getting in. Only players and only caddies. And I know you're not a caddy because you're not wearing the white coveralls that caddies wear. You don't have the right covering to get into this place. So I left, knowing I made it all the way to the door but was denied entrance. You see, I don't want anyone in Crossview Church or anyone who can hear Crossview Church to get all the way to the door and not get in because they didn't know how. And the way you get in is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. He goes on to say, God has one requirement for entrance into heaven, that we are clothed in Christ. When someone prays, God, come into my life, Forgive me for my sin, and I invite you in. And you take away my sinful rags and clothe me, clothe me in your grace. In that moment, Jesus, in an act visible only to the eyes of heaven, removes the stained sin robe about us and replaces it with his robe of righteousness. What did Jesus do for you and me? He put on our coat of sin and he wore it to the cross. 
And as he died, his blood flowed over our sins and they were cleansed. Because of this, we have no fear of being turned away at the door of heaven when we stand in the righteousness blood-bought from the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the work of Christ alone that gets us to heaven. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I thought it was a fascinating affirmation as a gift the Holy Spirit gave me that the morning that I was supposed to come to this pulpit and preach this word to you, I looked out my window and I saw white as snow. Jesus' blood washes away our sins as white as snow. No other fount I know. There's nothing else that can do it except the blood of Jesus and him alone. Receive Jesus into your life, friends. Remain in Christ. And in that place, you are declared righteousness. And you can't be declared righteousness any other way but him alone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. I thank you that in him we are made right in your eyes because of that painful but amazing day when he became our sin on the cross. When you took your wrath, the punishment for our sin, instead of directing it to us, directed it to him. And he absorbed that to set us free. Lord, let the reality of that sit into our minds and our hearts. Protect us from the heresy of the age that has followed all those seeking you to set up a system or to try to add to that. Let us not go down that path, but let us remain in Christ alone and grow deeper into what that means. And God, we ask that you do that by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.